sometimes it feels like, well, this is going to be detrimental and like maybe prevent me from having any like opportunities in the future. But I can't not be me. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. Each week, I chat with artists who use print-based media to do something beyond the expected. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Zambrano. Together, we speak to printmakers around the globe about their practice and passions in the world of printmaking. Hello, Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your creative practice since 1997. But we all know those products do not use themselves, and that's why Speedball works with a fantastic lineup of contemporary printmakers who make up the Speedball team of demo artists. Artists like Amber Kaiser. Amber has a sculpture background and feels printmaking has a natural direction to go in with the three-dimensional quality of the printmaking techniques. As a member of Burning Bones Press, she has learned and created with many talented artists throughout the past years. Kaiser's art focuses on the human figure and their environment, whether physical or cultural. Lino Cut has been her primary medium, but she also enjoys etching and clay work. So if you want to learn a few tricks of the trade and expand and improve your practice from artists like Amber, head on over to Speedball's YouTube channel to see how it's done. There's a link in the show notes. My guest this week is Chris Estrada, who runs Farewell Transmission, Instagram's best place for hand-printed t-shirts featuring bootleg music designs and naughty sentiments. We talk about how Chris manages to be so prolific with his design, his musical influences, and building his own business on his own terms. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and take your shirt off with Chris Estrada. Hi Chris, how's it going? Hey, it's going well, Miranda. How are you? It's good. It's good. It's really nice to see you in person in real time. I feel like you've you've got such a, a forward facing internet <laughs> presence that I feel like I know I know your vibe so well. But it's great oh to see God. you kind of in real life ish. Yeah, it's weird that I'm actually wearing a shirt and not just taking a selfie this time. Yeah, I love it. It's a whole okay. new sign of you. Yeah, yeah. This is my new vibe. Shirts only. Twenty twenty two. The rest of the rest of the year, I'm keeping my shirt on. <laughs> so, I'm really excited to talk to you and to get to know a little bit more of your background. I feel like when I stumbled across upon Farewell Transmission out there on the internet, it was like it was you were like Athena. You just it was like it was like this fully <laughs> formed thing that just did like burst forth from Zeus's head. I was just like, oh my gosh. Oh, I love this that. This has it all together. Like you just, you had this aesthetic, you had these really consistent posts. You seem to have this, your drops streamlined. And I want to know the journey to to finding that. And so I'm really excited to to chat about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think I'm going to put that on my CV. It's like the <laughs> Athena of printmaking or I'll see if that gets me, opens any doors for me. Or, I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey of making the wrong decision every single time to ultimately get to where like maybe the wrong decision seems like intentional. So it looks like I'm doing yeah. the right thing, but it's still, yeah. 
It's oh going. My gosh. I want to, I really want to hear about that. I love, I love a wrong decision. I've, oh I've made so many in my life. So oh, I'm your man. Yeah. Then this is a perfect, <laughs> this is a perfect place for me. But before we get into that, would you just let people know who you are, where you are, what you yeah. do? Yeah. My name is Chris Estrada. I am a printmaker. I'm based in Long Beach, which is Southern California. It's Los Angeles County. I am from Southern California, but I'm from the Inland Empire which uh, I think you probably had some people shut off as soon as they heard that. doesn't really carry a great <laughs> reputation. So I'm sorry if that torpedoed this whole thing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I have a, a BFA in printmaking from Cal State Long Beach, which is cool because that's been like a pretty beneficial thing for networking or like working with cool people. Uh, I work in the art world. I have my own prints through Farewell Transmission Prints, mm-hmm. which is like zines and prints and a lot of shirts and just kind of any weird stuff I can do. Yeah. Yeah, it's me. And, and then what was this art scene like and your sort of perception of it when you were growing up? Were you an arty kid? Did you go to museums? What was oh. that time like? Okay. It's really interesting because my I, kinda, I grew up with like a single parent and my mom does paint. My mom does like watercolor. Now she does wind chimes, which is pretty sweet. You might hear them out on my porch while we record. Yeah. But we did, we did go to museums because they were free. So the Mm -hmm. the positive is like free museums or libraries were where we spent like a fair amount of time. And I have two siblings and they're both pretty creative and pretty artistic people too. But there was never any like formal structure to that. Like Mm -hmm. we painted painted Christmas ornaments with my mom and we could always draw. There were colored pencils and crayons in the house and stuff like that, but never any type of like art class. There was never any, if there are resources like that, I just never took advantage of them. And I didn't really know. I mean, I still don't really know what opportunities exist where I'm from. Didn't take art classes throughout Mm -hmm. school. I took like some photography classes in high school, but even that was, I don't think I really ever considered myself an artist, but it all stemmed from like writing graffiti as a teenager. Mm, And then mm -hmm. I played guitar in like punk and hardcore bands and somebody had to make the t-shirts and do the flyer designs. So that's, it it was a little bit out of necessity and I, I did always enjoy it, but I never really had any like concept of structure or any structure to guide me or any like summer programs or anything like that, which probably I, maybe I would be making better art if I'd gone to that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it worked out okay for me, I think. Yeah. And so when you talk about like getting into graffiti, were you really doing figurative work in that? Like, were you actually doing like paintings or was it more artistic writing in terms of tagging? What was that really early first art making in a public way, like for Chris? Definitely not figurative or beneficial to the community or like aesthetically <laughs> pleasing or, or like respectful of public property. It was, I mean, it was just like, that was the medium that was maybe like heralded within like my friend group. And that was like, mm. but it was never, this is like before that big crest of like graffiti came back into the maybe like into popular culture and was really like championed by people. This is like before Banksy had dropped and this Mm -hmm. is before things like that. So there was never any 
concept of what it was never like, oh, I'm I'm trying to make something beautiful for people to see. It was definitely more destructive than it was like it, I wasn't doing anything good and definitely nothing like that I would ever want anyone to see now. Gotcha. But, yeah. But it still was, yeah, it sounds like when I mean, it was early mark making and then also making with an audience in mind. You know, I mean, that's one of the things I think about in terms of graffiti. And I've talked to several artists who have that early influence and, you know, this idea of putting something up in a public space, knowing that it's going to be seen and interacted with, with this sort of general public, it's an unusual method to start out with. And I, I think it does plant some seeds, maybe in terms of the way artists think about communicating or even a lot a lot of graffiti can even be about obscuring the communication as well, I think, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There are some concepts that's, that I carried with me that there, it was, it definitely taught me. And I think I tried to carry this with like printmaking in general, but just like treating art with the, as a little less precious than I would. Mm. Like if I went to a museum and I saw a painting and you know that that is the sole painting. I mean, that is like, that is it. And for that, that's really beautiful and that's important. But when you are wheat pasting or writing graffiti, it could be gone tomorrow. And right. you go into it not ever thinking like, okay, this is going to be something that people are going to look back on and really love and cherish and this is going to exist. And, and I mean, I guess maybe great art is thought of in that way with like preservation in mind. But I think what I got from that was just like, just, I mean, get it out there. And once you're done with that, you're already moving on to the next mm -hmm. project. And mm -hmm. so it's definitely like quantity over quality, which is maybe not like the best <laughs> mindset to have when making art, but it's, it's one of those lessons that I learned from that, uh -huh. that I continue using today. Yeah. And so where did you go from sort of doing the, the punk rock posters and the graffiti to doing a BFA. Where oh, did that go through? Yeah. Uh, so I did pretty well in high school. I, I played music. I went to a four year straight out of high school and I went for maybe like a year, a year and a half. And then I realized that I had no interest in a degree in English and was mm -hmm. never really going to use it. was just doing it because I thought I had to. So I dropped out of college and then I moved out of state. I moved to Salt Lake and I lived there for four years and I ended up Salt working Lake in- Salt Lake City Punks, hey? Yeah, Salt, Salt <laughs> Lake City Punks, yeah. I ran a record store while I was out there, which was really cool. And that I, it's funny when I think about that time because I didn't, I wasn't making anything. I wasn't doing flyers for anything. I wasn't particularly involved. I drew like the signs for the record store that I- was managing and that was fun but I art was really like in in the back of my mind at that point but I was absorbing just like appreciating all the albums that came through and just kind of sitting with records and being a total nerd in that regard mm -hmm. and I guess absorbing stuff that I would later want to use but I came back to California I was here for a while and it wasn't until I went back to community college in my mid 20s and I had no idea what I was going to go for but I took a screen printing class just because I had wanted to continue screen printing shirts and it was in like the applied science next to the automotive it wasn't part of the art department and it was really 
crunchy. It was more like a trade than it was an art Hmm. class. And I was working at a bookstore at the time. And I had talked to a customer who taught jewelry at the community college and she had like urged me to take the printmaking class and was telling me like, okay, this screen printing class isn't really an art class, but you should take the printmaking class. I think you'd really like it. And I was being myself, I was resistant. And I thought like, oh, no, I'm not interested in that aspect of it. I, I, well, I'm not really an artist. I just need to mm-hmm. know what to do. I just want the tools to be able to do what I want to do. And I took the printmaking class and I changed everything. Mm, yeah. What was it about that class that really was able to make that shift in your mind? You know, we're like, hey, like maybe I am an artist. This is like the, so it's a few things that happened that really were like the perfect storm because I am sometimes hard headed and, and not particularly easy to teach. But it turned out that my professor is this incredible dude named Rick Reese, who is actually a friend of mine. And we go to punk shows now, which is really cool. But he was somebody that I could connect with, like first through music, then through art. And just turned out like to be like the right person at the right time. And then this is perfect because I think you're recording with him today. But Rick showed us a video of Bill Fick. And I was, it was like on Vimeo and it was, he's carving like this big lino cut of a devil's head. Uh And I was just in trance and don't tell Bill this because we're cool. But next time I see him, I don't want to get all like red faced and blushy. (laughs) But I I was watching and I was just like, I'd never, I guess I, if had I seen like woodcuts, I I guess I'd never really had thought too much about the process, was not a printmaker and was really only art adjacent, but not too invested. And watching the process of that and then watching it print and realizing like, oh, this is art. And this is also like a really cool devil head. It put me on track, which is, again, like not to be a total fanboy of Bill Fick, but it really set me in the right direction and got mm. me stoked. Yeah. I And I think I've heard that from other printmakers who I think are in, in our generation. And I, I sort of think of that as people who were being exposed to printmaking really before Instagram, before there was this this ability to access images from so many, you I mean like all over the world, so many different printmakers, that it yeah. really was exposure to some of the people who are maybe under the the outlaw umbrella, like Carlos Hernandez, yeah. Bill Fick, Tom Huck, where all of a sudden they saw this and they were like, holy crap, this is someone who's using printmaking in a way that connects with me and connects with the aesthetics that I am interested in. And it doesn't need to be this perfectly aqua-tinted landscape with a 1930s car in the front of it, which I love that too. But I think seeing that that particular generation of artists and what they were doing with it, and it's it's interesting that you bring like Bill up and and because I've interviewed some of those those people, you know, in, including Bill, and a lot of them actually do point to records yeah. as the first sort of subversive art they ever saw, because because they're like a, the sort of the print generation above us, a lot of the those guys, and so not only did they not have the internet, but all they had was a record store. If they wanted to see a skull dripping ooze, or they wanted to see any imagery 
that had an edge to it. So I do feel like there's sort of a lineage and a through line in being inspired by someone like Bill and also the art as it relates to music, which I'm sure we'll get into later, is now such a part of your current practice. Yeah. Yeah. It, that was really seeing like what Burning Bones was doing and Carlos mm. and, and like Test Doyle and all that was when I first stumbled across that, it was like, oh man, this is what I want to be doing, but done like way better than I'm doing. Mm. But it was just so influential and cool to see like, oh, right, this is this is art. And it's not something that's like separate from art because it may be harkens back to punk music or it harkens back to rock and roll and that doesn't feel like fine art but that put it into I think it just yeah it just maybe helped me realize like how vast art can be and how Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be when you don't come from like a maybe like a a heavy art background you you separate yourself from it and it took me a really long time to even consider myself an artist and understand mm. that I was an artist and even when I was making art it was like always on the back burner but the more you realize like oh wait no I am an artist and I don't know nobody was gatekeeping it for me nobody was telling me I was not an artist but myself but seeing people do things that really were like oh my gosh like this is what I want to be doing this is like what I'm into and these people are artists and I guess I stumbled into realizing I was an artist. Yeah. 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 And so how would you describe your current practice and what you're doing now? Oh my God. Chaos. Chaos. And like this really like, I don't, it's really interesting. So I've been working a lot on like bootleg Mm t-shirts lately, which is awesome. And also probably like super detrimental Again, to nobody, I don't think anybody worries about it but me, but I make a lot of like bootleg t-shirts for music that I like that I maybe don't think has like great shirts. And I (laughs) try to like, I try to get them to everybody who wants them for like an affordable price. But then it's really funny because I started meeting people who would see me and say like, oh, you're the t-shirt designer or like, oh yeah, you you make t-shirts for a living. That's really cool. And that felt like, Oh no, like now I have to print yeah. flat stock. Like I can't do it. I'm not a t- I'm not a t-shirt designer. Like, wait, but my current practice is just, it's really nice because it's whatever pops up in my dumb little brain. And now that I have this skill set to like make it a reality, it's just anything that there there are definitely limitations, but I don't think I'm like willing to really recognize them until I hit like a hard stop. And I'm like, Oh wait, I can't, why am I trying to do this? I can't do this, but it's yeah. It, chaos, I guess would be the right descriptor. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something kind of, you know, the images that I've seen of your work have been through, through your Instagram, I think primarily. And then you've got the the online site. I feel like there's something really id about, your work, or it really does feel like it's coming from, I don't know, like like an unfiltered place. And of course, it <laughs> it is filtered because you've made a decision, right, to do it. But there's something yeah. about the energy around it that has like chaos and id, but in a very good way, in a really satisfying way. And in a way that I feel like it feels a little bit like an aesthetic reaction to 
the ultra sharp, ultra curated, ultra shiny world that the internet usually is, that Instagram usually is. That it's like, this is my best self on my best day with my best lighting. But, (laughs) you know, that just feels sort of like shiny and artificial. And, And I think some of the imagery you make, there's something that feels intuitive and pure in it that is at least what I respond to in it for sure. Well, I love that. That feels, thank you. I take that as a compliment. I don't, it's not that I think that the work that I'm making is like particularly transgressive or like complex or hard to, or like not palatable, but I am always surprised that there's like any resonance or that people connect with it. Cause it's really just always like, okay, cool. Like I'm on a kick of watching, like I'm watching old Godzilla movies and it's like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, like, wait, what if we did like a, or like, or I'm listening to the Stooges and I'm like, oh, oh, a nuclear bomb and Godzilla, right? Like, (laughs) oh, what if I want to, and what about like these Japanese soft vinyl toys or like, what about this? Like, what if we're using like bloody wrestlers from the sixties or like car crashes from the fifties or like, what if we, and it's just like, it's really cool and it's been like a really positive experience of putting my work out there and having like I haven't really had anybody come up to me and tell me I suck which I probably need (laughs) I mean somebody could I could definitely use the humbling so if anybody is a hater like please check me out I could use it but it's been really cool to just make whatever weird stuff is in my brain and have it connect and and yeah it's I guess it is pure in the sense that like sometimes I make stuff thinking like all right well this is it like this is the last time people are gonna be into this or like again not that I'm pushing crazy boundaries but sometimes it feels like well this is going to be detrimental and like maybe prevent me from having any like opportunities in the future but I can't not be me even Mm -hmm. if it's not even if it's gonna and again like I think a lot of that is because maybe I'm like not financially dependent on the art that I make because I do have a day job, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's been cool to just like throw whatever out there and, and have people be into it. That feels nice. Yeah. And, and you know what you're speaking of in terms of making these connections that make sense to you and, and, you know, putting them out in the world really without knowing that anyone else is going to make the connection then discovering time and time again, that they do. It sounds like a very cool experience. And it it reminds me of, so the first shirt I ever bought from you was the Bella and Sebastian, if you're feeling sinister. And so it just said Bella and Sebastian, if you're feeling sinister, you know, their, their best album, you know? Yeah. And it had a image of, from Richard Scarry of a Fox riding a motorcycle. And it just made complete sense to me. Like I saw it and I was like the Fox riding the motorcycle with his little goggles and his little scarf is the energy of, if you're feeling sinister, the album. And I'm like, I don't know why, but I just know it's true. (laughs) I love that. Oh, that feels so cool. Yeah. Like it's, and you know, it's just, and I don't know if, you know, there is a song on the album, like Fox in the snow that actually mentions Mm -hmm. a Fox. Yeah. But there's something about the the sort of fanciness meets rebellion of the idea mm. of like of the motorcycle, but then he's, he's got this little proper scarf on and these cute little goggles. And there's something about the energy of that album that it's sort of like fancy British schools, but like 
weird adolescent horniness and existential crisis yeah. as well. And and it just was like I was like, yeah, that's that fox. And so yeah. it just it just feels really right. And I'm just wondering is like is that your process when you when you're matching these these albums or these artists with this imagery? Is it just the like this just feels right or do you have like a more specific process when you go through it? No, it's definitely like, uh, so I am a record person and a lot of what I do is usually like scans from inserts and from sleeves. And I try to not really ever take too much just from like image searching. I always Mm -hmm. want it to be, and I mean, I, it is like a bootleg t-shirt. So there are some like, maybe it's like, there are some, negative impacts i think don sebastian will be okay but it is always trying to like look at the things that they were doing and just Mm -hmm. because that that i was having this okay this is a little bit of a tangent are you ready for this i'm ready okay so where i grew up there were not any music stores and there was a music store but it was about like an hour north and i was like 14 or 15 and i didn't drive yet And my sister would drive out there on, I think it was probably like Friday nights and she would go play Magic the Gathering. And I would just like, please take me. Like, I just want to go to the record store, please. She'd say, okay, but I'm I'm not leaving early. Like I'm going to do my thing. And my sister's two years older than me. She'd be like, okay, but you're going to have to like wait. It's like, okay, cool. So go to the record store and she would go to the comic book store wherever they were doing. uh, Yeah, I think it was a comic book store. And I would go and look through the CDs or the records or whatever it was. And I would pick an album. And in this particular particular moment, I remember it being like a CD. And I would find a CD and I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is it. Like, this is the one I have to have. This is pre-internet, so I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Right, I couldn't listen yeah. to it beforehand. I had no, I only was like, I knew about a band because another band had mentioned it in the liner notes or like I saw somebody wearing a shirt, but I would take that and then I would have to sit in her car and just listen to the CD in my little like portable CD player and just tear through the liner notes and read everything and see who mm. did the sleeve design and, and what bands they think. And I would just spend like an ungodly amount of time which is realistically probably like two hours while she played magic but i would just sit with that cd and absorb it so the process that i have now which is probably terrible because i'm not a note taker and i'm not a i don't keep a sketchbook and i don't draw thumbnails but i just get like this seed in my head of like okay cool yesterday was like a big linda ronstadt day like i was Mm -hmm. just working listening to linda ronstadt and i was like damn i should I should do something like maybe I should do a Linda Ronstadt shirt just because it's something that I want, which would be cool. Yeah. So then I'll, I'll just keep listening to the album or I'll keep just like, Oh yeah, right. This is cool. Like, Oh yeah, this is cool. This is a cool line. How does this relate? And it like marinates in my brain. And then maybe I'll look through like some resources or I'll think about like imagery that might pair well with it and how it would look together. And it just formulates like that, which feels like, yeah, it feels like a cool process because it's just like sitting with your subject matter for a while instead of maybe there's like a better way of doing it. But mm, no, I, I think that that has a sense to me of finding ways to sort of access your subconscious, like to just to to just sit with something and not like a passive way, but like 
a semi-passive way and just let it percolate. And oh, yeah. and maybe that we could get into some sort of like Freudian free association <laughs> where you're just like, Bella and Sebastian, if you're feeling sinister, fox on a motorcycle, you know, like, yes, like yeah. the way of like dropping in past the chatter and past like the sort of high brain analytic to sort of fall into that, that just what is the feeling of this? Like, how does this connect to other things I've experienced? Mm-hmm. And, and that long form, just sort of sitting with something I feel like is a good way of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It seems yeah. to work. It was, I definitely did scan the, like on the, uh, if you're feeling sinister, like on the like center label for the record is like this really sketchy Fox drawing and they had used it on shirts like mm-hmm. quite a while ago. And I just don't like it. And I wanted to like it. And I think I was like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll do a sh- I'll do like a Fox in the snow shirt. I love this song. It's a cool Fox. And I just could not get into the drawing. Like it just, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure who did it, but it's, I, I was like, surely there's something better than this. And I think I had just picked up that Richard scary, like, the cars but I, can't, I wish i could remember, things that move i have yeah, it over things on that my, move. i think that's what it is yeah yeah so it's pouring through there and it was like oh yeah we get like there's the cheese car right you got all the mice in the cheese car that's a classic and then you have like the dog in the convertible with the cowboy hat and it's like oh yeah this is a good one like, this is great and I, I was probably listening to records and looking through books and it just clicked like oh yeah, there's a fox on a motorcycle, fox in the snow. This fox is a lot cooler than like that kind of corny fox on the inner mm-hmm. label. And yeah, it just yeah. seemed to work. You know, at, at the risk of sounding like didactic or moralistic, do you think the kids are really, really missing out by not having liner notes? Like liner notes, I know that contemporary artists are still producing LPs. They've been doing that for a while. And yeah. recently the the real cool kids like Olivia Rodriguez are making cassette tapes now, which yeah, is like, yeah. like I love that that's bad. It's so good. But for the most part, you, the time was anyone who listened to music would be buying liner notes for the work. And now it's like there's a really specific subset of people who are going to go out and get the cassette tape or going to get the LP when they can just stream it. Do you think that that's really like I said, I don't want to be like, let's judge the kids these days, but like, is that bad? <laughs> I, it's like so complicated because it's like such a, it's such a double-edged sword because I think that being able to stream music, I mean, I've benefited from it, from hearing stuff that like, there's just no, there's no way I could afford mm-hmm. a copy of that record or how would I ever hear like a band from Sweden that put out like an album in 1984? Yeah. So it's really cool because I feel like maybe I have been able to listen to more stuff or people have so much more access to information and to music and to culture. And it it becomes like this like massive global thing instead of just like pockets. But I do think that you put a lot less work into it. So maybe it's a lot less important. And it's also kind of like when you didn't have the means or the accessibility, I mean, like a record store wasn't going to have every single album. So you like, if you wanted to listen to that band, you bought it. And sometimes you bought the shittiest album and it's it became true. your favorite, mm-hmm. but you never knew. I There are plenty of bands that it's like, oh yeah, this live CD was the only thing they had. And so this is like all I know. And it's what I love, even if it's like notoriously the worst thing. Yeah. So I think you just invest differently. I often think about that, how my relationship to music 
is so different when it's streamed versus when it's on a record because I just listen to the songs that give me instant gratification when I stream. And then we'd have these these arcs of relationships with albums pre-streaming where that weird esoteric long song at the end on the hidden track I used to hate. But then yeah. after just like not being too lazy to get up and turn off the CD <laughs> three times in a row, I was like, oh, this is actually like really cool. And so that relationship of like, of the evolution of how you can feel and what you can get out of songs. I'm to it's totally divorced from the way I consume music now when I'm streaming it versus when it's yeah. on an LP. And I like, I love track three, but I'm going to listen to the whole thing through because I just put it on the beginning. Yeah, so I'm yeah, it's very up. different. Yeah. I'm not getting out for that. <laughs> I think it's, I guess it's even comparable to tie it back to maybe like artists. It's mm -hmm. like seeing a show or going to like a gallery or a museum versus seeing it online or totally seeing a book versus like going and actually seeing like a painting and it really like it wasn't until I got to see like a bunch of like Durer stuff in person or even like I had this really cool experience where I went to the Seattle Art Museum just on a whim I was up there by myself and had a free day and I showed up and there was like a ton of Goya's work and a ton of Durer's stuff. And then they also mm. have like the whole like illustrated old Testament by Robert Crumb. And I'd never I seen remember his... that show. Yeah. It like, it yeah. It was a great graphic show. Masters or something like that. It was like, so, I think it was, it was graphic something. I think it was graphic masters. Yeah. Yeah. But it was really, it, I had always appreciated R. Crumb's work, but then seeing like, the amount of whiteout that was used mm. show, showing you like, Oh, look at all these mistakes. Like people fuck up constantly and there are ways to like move forward and not get stuck in that. And mm -hmm. so that, I think my investment in that art was greater because I got to see it in person and I felt like obligated to also sit with it instead of just moving. Past yeah. It. Yeah. I think that's a really good comparison because again, I think it, it there's also that, that direct comparison between like the, the instant gratification, like people scroll through Instagram. I'm sure there's all kinds of studies that you put, you spend like point oh. eight nine seconds on an image. And so yeah. the image has to just give everything all at once instantly. Whereas as you say, like going to a show, like you've spent some money often on like, I know the <laughs> Seattle art museum is not free. So yeah. like you've, you've spent some money, you've gone and you've made a financial investment, you've made a time investment, you've made a travel investment. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to like look at each one. Yeah. And it's, I think that there's, it's really easy to get very, um, this is good and this is bad about it. But I think it's more true to just say like, it's just very different and like they're serving different purposes. And I think as long as there's sort of space for both experiences still in the world. And I think my anxiety is like, the like long form experience will eventually get totally pushed out, which is sort of stressful that, yeah. that galleries will close and museums will close because everyone is just wants to consume art through Instagram. But so far so good. Yeah. They're holding on. Yeah. yeah. What a weird, that's such a bizarre, even when people were like going to art school during the pandemic and not being able to like go to the studio or go to a gallery or it's like taking like an art history class online where you're never really seeing it's cool when you get to visit for a class you have to go look at something and then you're writing a paper on it and I mm -hmm. think that it's a lot more impactful and it kind of like stays with you but it is interesting to see like 
you've only ever experienced a lot of pieces of work just by a photograph. And it's yeah. probably like a low res photo that somebody just pulled for a presentation. And you never really, I, at least personally, I don't know, not like the Royal you or we, but personally, like it doesn't resonate the same. So it is a little concerning to think that everything would just be online or there would be like less of a personal connection in the future. Like that's a little alarming. Yeah. Yeah. I I want to circle back for a minute to something you mentioned a little bit earlier where you were talking about how the work that you make, you're like, I just need this to be in the world. I just need to have it seen in the world. And so you've like, you've thought that like, well, maybe if I make this, it will sink the ship, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. And so, cause you do make work that's, I, well, I find like the Richard scary Bell and Sebastian, just very dear, very sweet. And then you make a shirt that says, I want your hot white cum. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're like, they're under the same brand. They're in the same (sighs) feed. And it's, I'm just really curious about that. Because it's, is it, is it something that it's like, this just, this is just what I need to see on a t-shirt. And, and then also, do you plan like, well, I might need to make a hundred Bell and Sebastian, but I'm going to make 15 white cum shirts as well, sort of logistically. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's always like a, I am always convinced that it's not going to, I never really, I don't invest too heavily. I'm never printing like a hundred shirts because I also like the idea of it. Like, well, if you showed up, you got one. And if you didn't Uh get one, maybe you'll get one. I mean, not, not everybody needs a t-shirt. So having everything available all the time sometimes feels a little like, maybe not the best decision for me. And I also don't want to have like a hundred like right. hot white cum shirts sitting in my studio. Like that sounds terrible. So <laughs> yeah. in regards to like that, there are some like safer bets, but I usually am pretty conservative in terms of like how much I make. And then if I have to run it back, but then I do get like salty about it. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to do something else. And then I rediscover it a year or two later and I come back mm. to it. Uh, but in terms of like continuously making like poor decisions and I, the worst thing is like my mom sees my Instagram. So I know that my <laughs> like my mom has to see, and I don't, and, and it's not hidden because it's just, I, I remember this thing that I, and it's a really poor example and, and it should maybe have like made me reconsider. But I remember in an art history class, there was like an interview with Jackson Pollock and they were talking to him like, oh yeah, you showed up in jeans and like a fucking denim shirt. Like, what are you doing? And he was just kind of like, this is me. Why would I dress mm-hmm. differently for like an opening? I want to be representative of who I am. I don't want to be somebody I'm not, which who he was, was a terrible person. And right. you think that <laughs> I like, maybe I should have saw that and been like, oh, okay, cool. So maybe like, don't be an asshole. And instead it, I took it as like, well, this is me. And if this means that I don't get to work with so-and-so because I made a zine called Fluids Fanzine that had like a bunch of allusions to come, which I knew, like I was, I was less than like a 10th of the way through it and was like, why am I doing, this is such a bad idea. Like nobody wants this, but I just had to, I had to see it through. And um, I don't know, it hasn't really ruined me yet so maybe when it does when I like can't Mm. get a job because they're like oh you put like an ass on this like there's no way you're working here then Mm. I'll maybe I'll have to reconsider but right now it feels like I mean I love cute stuff but I also love like freak shit so yeah I guess I'm trying to do both 
Yeah. Well, and, it, and again, that's that, as I spoke about, I think at like the top of the hour, that that feeling of like the id driving, <laughs> I think is like part of that is because you're just like cute, cute, cute. Okay. Some cum. Okay. Cute, cute, cute. Yeah, okay. Yeah, a dominatrix. Yeah. Like it yeah. just, it just comes out like in this very sort of pure way, which is, I think really charming. And, <laughs> and I, 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 I mean it. That. Yeah, like tell tell your mom yeah. that a podcast host in Santa Fe thinks that the hot white cum shirt is charming. Like, don't worry, yeah, mom. Oh, yeah, yeah, God. But you know, I, I I also think that the more sort of public facing presences and profiles that don't shy away from that complexity and the multiples that every person holds, the less it becomes a barrier to entry in other spaces. Does that make sense? So like, like you're, like you're, you're t- tell your mom, you're doing important work. <laughs> I think you're moving the needle on, yeah. on the, the admitting that no one is one thing and no one can be one thing. And, and so having practices that reflect that I think is important. Yeah. I, I think I will be, let me be totally clear. And I think the worst part is you would think that like, at some point, my family would feel like, oh, come on. Like, but they're so, my, I have, I'm just have my brother, my sister, and my mom, and they're all so supportive. So I make a hot white cum shirt, and then my mom responds with like a goofy smiley face emoji. So at some point, <laughs> I, I, maybe it would be better if I was like rebelling against them, but they're so, they're like always on my team, which is great, but also like maybe I've had too much support. Maybe I need to be knocked down a peg or something, but it is, I do like, I recognize, I totally recognize the privilege that I have to be able to do the things that I do, or maybe not totally recognize, but I try to be cognizant Mm -hmm. of the privilege that I have, like as a man to like put that stuff out there. And I would, I'm definitely not a trailblazer and it's not like a form of activism and it's not me trying to make the world a better place. And I would be lying if I said I did, but it is nice to just, present yourself as you are and again maybe because i'm not financially dependent on that mm-hmm. i can it's like a this is me and yeah like fuck you if you don't like it but yeah I, hopefully that's beneficial yeah to I, someone. Can, I can only imagine the horrific <sighs> dms that like a oh. female presenting person would get if they yeah, had yeah, a t-shirt yeah. that said that a hundred percent and it's really yeah that's again like it's i'm not doing it i don't think that i'm making the world a better place by doing it but if there are any like ripples that benefit the world like that's really cool Mm -hmm. and maybe i should be more cognizant and try to work towards making things better for everybody do you get any blowback in your dms from people you know with the more (sighs) edgy work that's out there no you know what i get is like no uh, unfortunately uh, again people are too like i, I think like people this, are too on board the whole theme of this interview has been like i need someone to be mean to me <laughs> it, i it, you know what i just think it would like maybe if people weren't because it, it so like in college like my my critiques were like pretty lackluster but it was usually like it was a probably tougher on my professors because i was also like in my late twenties and I was trying to do, I was doing school, but working a full-time job and a part-time job. And also like doing, I was, I was working for speedball and I was trying to do like, 
a ton of zines and shirts and this and that. So there's a lot of times of like, maybe you should sit with this and and think about it. And it's like, no, I think I'm going to do like a big CMYK print of like a sex shop. And like, this is what I'm doing. And it's like, in that regard, like, I do think there are some things, there was some pushback in that world that definitely, I'm probably still not totally like living up to it, but I am aware of it. But since just like saying, fuck it, everybody's been really supportive and that's good. But at some point, I'm sure somebody's going to check me, but it is like, I think the funniest thing that I received was I had a friend who I think he just like kind of reached his limit on the selfies. And he was like, dude, I can't, you got a lot of shirtless pictures on here, man. And I was like, yeah, dude, it's, I don't know why you're still here. Like you could have checked out. I mean, Instagram's great. You can mute it. If you want to mute my stories because you're tired of seeing my stupid face, like I am not upset. I would have done it like a long time ago if it the role was reversed. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like the I mean, I'm totally aware of how whack I am. So it is like, in that regard, like I, there's a little bit of like, I'm maybe sometimes self conscious of like, Oh, God, this is like, what am I doing? But, but people are pretty supportive, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, was that a, a conscious decision when you're building the shop and building this idea that you were going to be public facing in it? And also keeping in mind that the algorithm will show your work more if you show a photo of a person. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, was that I, in there at all? Well, I, so I did the separate art account and then it, I was really lazy. So, and then I also realized like, I hate having to follow. It's like, doesn't require anything of me, but when there's somebody who has like, Oh, this is me, but this is also my art account. And then this is like my other art account. And this is my interior design. And this is my, I just can't, I can't keep up with it or I mean my maybe my brain is just too like steamrolling everything and rolling with it so I had like the separate art account that was just like the posts of my stuff and it and it and then I guess I just realized like well it doesn't matter like it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter and I also like I like knowing who's making the work and I don't think that I hope that that doesn't influence like me to appreciate the work more because it's totally not fair and that's like Mm. a bias that sucks and maybe I mean I think if somebody saw me maybe they would want to support my work less which would be like so maybe I should consider (laughs) that but I don't it just is a little more personal that way and I like I like being able to connect with artists in that regard like it's nice to know like oh a human made this and this is a human and the human's fucking cool and like I don't I like it. So yeah, I guess it was a conscious decision and also just being lazy. Well, and it, I think it also, it, it works really well because we're our little hairless two-legged ape brains love seeing <laughs> other hairless two-legged apes. You know I mean? It's just, it's something that I think like we, we connect with. And then also, as you say, like puts that the human who made this, like front and center, there's always something really interesting about that. I think because yeah. art, art gets divorced from its creator so often. I mean, you think about going to a gallery; it's it's all sterile. It's on the white walls. There's just a little artist statement. There's rarely a, a photo of the person who made it, and yeah. it just it for people who consume art. I think maybe particularly people who consume art more casually. It seems like the work is just like you just pluck it off of trees without the person who actually like created it being there. Yeah. I will say that it doesn't 
make me appreciate their art more, but I want to see Mike Pennekamp pour a cup of coffee every single day. And <laughs> yeah. I want to see, I want to see Raj skate every day. Yep. Like anytime I'm like, Oh, okay. I love your art, but also like, damn, a three flip, like over the hip. Like, of course I want to see that. So it yeah. is really like, it does. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, maybe it tightens that community a little bit more or just, yeah, it makes it a little more human. I I, yeah. I, it's so funny. You should mention Mike and the coffee because I do look forward to that. I feel like I'm yeah. just having coffee with Mike every morning. Yeah. Like, oh, a, okay. Twin Peaks theme today. Cool. You know, what are I, we listening uh, to? I went to like a speedball thing in North Carolina and we were all out there and it was like the um, demo artists when they were setting that thing up. And that was when I first met a lot of those people and the speedball team was like, and Mike, we know you like to pour your coffee. So we got you a coffee mug and oh. here's your coffee. And it was really like, it was just, it was really sweet. And also like, hell yeah, I love that you're known for pouring a cup of coffee, like in the morning so much so that this company would be like, keep it going. Like mm-hmm. we, we want to see it. And it's great. I'm, I'm yeah. here for it. I want to see it every day. And I've also heard people talk about seeing people working too. You know, so it's, I, like I said, I, I really adore like the the peek into the the world outside of the art, like the coffee or the skateboarding, or, but also yeah. just seeing in process in studio. I've heard that being really motivating. That's like, oh shit. Like Chris is, yeah. Chris is already up in the studio. Like I should need to get in my studio. And it's, it's, there's almost like a mirroring that happens with like the motivation to make too, when you know that, these internet friends are out there doing their good work. I I will say that this actually brings to mind the one, one of the best criticisms I've gotten is uh, I have a friend, Nolan, who constantly calls me out on the time-lapse videos. So I'll go, I'll get coffee at his shop and it's like, oh, what are you doing today? I'm like, oh, I'm heading to my studio. He's like, oh, great. So a time-lapse video. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I got to do it. And I, it's, I love, I guess I, I love them. I love it too. I love seeing, but it is really funny to like now be a little more aware of like, am I going to time-lapse video of me? Like, I don't know, like cleaning tiles or whatever, like weird thing I'm doing at work or mm-hmm. whatever I'm doing in my studio. And the answer is usually yes, because I'm an idiot, but it is. Yeah. I do appreciate that. Like the one thing I got called out on was process videos. Yeah, I love them though. I I I would watch a time last process video any day of the week. Honestly, like people carving, people printing, it's it's so satisfying. Rooms growing. That's my favorite mushroom growing time lapse video. Mm. Oh, it's crazy! I yeah, that blows my mind. Time lapse, yeah, time lapse mushrooms and time lapse like decomposition, like plant decomposition stuff. Like decomposition videos. Yeah. I have a hard time of like staying focused on like, like I'm not a big like YouTube person, but I think I could watch those endlessly, like get nothing done, stay out of the Mm -hmm. studio all day. Just like, what? holy shit, did you see that mushroom like grow and then (laughs) die and then grow again? How cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, I feel like we're coming up to the, the hour recording mark here. And I feel like, I feel like I haven't heard any bad decisions yet. I think it's all been bad. I think it's been a little too, like, it's, it's, everything is just, like, I think one of the most interesting things that I took away from, like, my very first semester in art class, and I mentioned it before to some people, is, like, 
I was, of course, trying to print some lino cuts on shit paper because I didn't want to pay for BFK. Mm-hmm. And I was like a little punk about it and being like, who gives a shit? Like, what does it matter? It's still. And I, the lesson that I had got was like, if you're not willing to invest in yourself, mm-hmm. like, how could you expect anybody to invest in you? Or if you don't invest in your art, how can you expect, expect anybody to invest in you? So in that same regard, I think it's been like, any time that I've tried to cut corners or be like, I have a hard time of stopping the process once I've started, especially like when I'm printing and it'll be like a big 22 by 30 inch, like CMYK screen print. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, what am I, I immediately, the screen fucks up and it's like, well, I'm invested. I got to push forward. And then I end up like wasting an insane amount of like resources and time and I'm frustrated and I knew better. And it's like, God Mm -hmm. damn it. Why did I do that? So it is like, I guess sometimes I take lessons from that and it's kind of like, Oh, right. Remember that time? Like you wasted all that time and all that paper and like you knew better, but you didn't listen to it. Like maybe Mm -hmm. you could learn from that. And I don't know if I ever like apply those lessons, but I should. I I think about that a lot in terms of having worked in commercial galleries for a long time and gotten a lot of, a lot of submissions from artists and all kinds of media that not, artists not taking the time to just photograph their work well is really like, like it just, it it gives that sense that like you don't value this. You're not taking it seriously. And I do understand that there's certain barriers to that and certain accessibility not everyone can pay for a professional photographer but most people know someone with a decent iphone camera in this in this day and age and and some of it is just they'll be blurry like you you didn't you didn't just even you didn't even just like retake that you know yeah Yeah, Yeah. it takes me out of the moment and it feels a little again it's like a i'm privileged to be able to like frame my work before a show and that's not not everybody can and not everybody cares. But mm-hmm. I know that when I go see a show and I think it's like presented poorly or it just feels like it when it's done with intention and it's not, I guess as long as the intention, I think intention is pretty important in that realm. And again, like I try to be cognizant of the privileges that I have and, and not maybe like apply everything I apply on myself to other people, but it is really one of those things where it's like, well, if you don't care, like, what do I yeah, care? Totally. So. Totally. Well, Chris, is there anything that you've got on the horizon? Anything you're looking forward to? Oh Any man. Projects or anything you want to talk about? I know it's always like a such on the spot question for everyone. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but, it's, yeah, I have a bunch of, well, I don't know. I have to finish a zine with Katie who does dog bites back. And Mm. that's pretty cool. So I have maybe like half of that done. So ideally doing more zines because they're so fun and I love doing them and it's cool to put them out there and it's cool to like torture myself and screen print every page and then give them away and have them just kind of be like, oh, wait, there's no words in this and have them thrown Mm -hmm. away. That's pretty cool. I will be in my studio where there's no AC today, screen printing some t-shirts probably. Yeah. Oh, just, yeah. Like, the worst part is that I have nobody to blame but myself. Like, nobody's <laughs> nobody's making me go. So then I'm there and I'm like, like, of course, I'm taking my shirt off and it's awful. And I'm sure the people who also have studios in my building are like, oh, great. There's this <laughs> fucking guy. This guy's back. Great. Um, <laughs> so I have that. So, yeah, shirt off guy. Great. Mm-hmm. Cool. He just can't be a normal dude. 
there are some art shows coming up, but I do not have all the details or like, I guess I'm not sure if they're happening yet. Yeah. I have a lot of fun stuff coming up, but I guess well, where, nothing that I need. To... You oh, was going to say, where could people follow you to, to get the, the fun stuff as it gets confirmed? Oh my God. Just on Instagram. I took down my website at the height of the pandemic. I don't ever send out email blasts, which may, I don't know, like, what am I going to say? Hey, there's a t-shirt. You might like it or you might not. So Instagram, but I will say that you really got to suffer through selfies. You got to deal with mm. titty pictures to get any information. So it is really <laughs> like, it's a battle. I, if you can get through that, like maybe I should start like sending out like care packages and stuff like, Hey, you made it a mm-hmm. whole year. Like here's a coupon. I don't know how you did it. Yeah. Just Instagram. Yeah. Farewell.transmission. That's me. I will definitely put that in <laughs> in the show notes and I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people willing to, to suffer through. I think it will oh, be okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Miranda. I really appreciate yeah. that. Thank you, Chris. This has been really, really fun chatting and, and talking about music and art and foxes and cum. It's yeah. just been, it's been really a delight. So, yeah. Um, thank you for having me. I really love this. And thanks for also like boiling down my whole vibe too. I mean, I think you covered it with just music and cum and foxes. And yeah. That's kind of it. That's me. That's it. That's it. I, yeah. yeah. You could do a t-shirt that's like just like the thing <laughs> no. around transmission brand see no you need to stop somebody needs to check me if you hear this and and you think like that's stupid send me a message tell me it's whack so that i can reconsider my choices please yeah yeah i think it's you that you just you've been very clear you just you want some abusive dms and yeah hey, bully me Chris would like to be cyber bullied. Um, Yeah. Let me be your can. If you're having a bad day, take it on me. I deserve it. Yeah. I love it. God. If you like today's episode, we have a Patreon where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content like Shop Talk Shorts, where our editor, Timothy Pauschak, digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. And if monetary support isn't in the cards right now, you can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice or buy something from one of our sponsors and tell us Hello Print Friend sent you. But as always, the very best thing you can do to support this podcast is by listening and sharing with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's the last show of the season. The next two weeks, we're going to be revisiting gems you may have missed from this past year. And I want to offer a big thank you from everyone here at the Hello Print Friend team. Thanks to you all, 2022 was by far our most listened to, most successful, most print-filled year yet. And we hope these last weeks of the year for you are filled with laughter with those you love. We'll be back the first Tuesday in January with a whole new season of Hello Print Friend. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next year.